Hey, Carl Prairie. This is Pastor Chris and Pastor Dan, and we are excited to be here. We're actually going to be teaching together today. We're finishing up our series, Quarantine, Finding God Under House Arrest. Um, but I know that as I mentioned quarantine, you guys probably have a lot of questions. I know there's been a lot of people just wondering, when are things opening? When aren't things opening? And so, Dan, um, maybe say a few words about when is this building that we're in right now reopening? Well, thanks, Chris. If you have uh, been reading your Copperary newsletter, you know that uh, one of our Board of Trustees members, Donnie Tennyson, he happens to be the chairperson of the reopening task force. He put a note in there uh, promising that we'd get an update from that team, which includes not just trustees, but uh, medical people, uh, government people, and a lot of staff people from the church who are deeper in the trenches, certainly, than I am. Um, and they are coming up with some really good policies and a, and a very strategic timeline about when we open. What Donnie said that I want to reemphasize is that we are not intending to be at the leading end of leading edge of churches going back into their buildings, but probably at the lagging end. And that's simply for the reason of safety, not just the safety of people that we consider vulnerable populations. But to be honest, the fact that those of us who think we're strong, who haven't been infected, we probably aren't as strong as we think we are. So I just wanted to read something um, from, somehow I thought I had it saved in 1 Corinthians 10, and it ended up in Hebrews 3. So you will see how my chunky thumbs move quickly to find a scripture. What I wanted to read was from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Paul writes this, you say, I'm allowed to do anything but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And that's kind of what's driving our decisions, right? This is a community building. There's a lot of people that flood this building during the week, and there's a lot of energy and joy and excitement when, we come, when we're here to worship. And we don't want to abuse the energy and freedom that we have um, we want to do it in a way that's not going to be a burden to others, that's not going to cause pain or illness to others, but do it in a way that is a blessing to us, ourselves, our community, and the witness of Jesus Christ. And I appreciate that, Dan. Our number one goal is to keep everybody safe. Now, that being said, I completely understand the frustration of being tired of being at home and wanting to get out. As you guys know, I have been dying to get a haircut. And uh, unfortunately, still hasn't happened. But, uh, but here we are, and uh, we are going to be talking about quarantine today, talking in specific about the chapter, chapter 4 of Philippians. And as we get into that, I want us to have a little intro from our friends over at the Bible Project. Paul then challenges the Philippians to keep living out the Jesus story. He first addresses two prominent women leaders in the church who worked alongside Paul, and they're in some kind of conflict. And so Paul pleads with them to follow Jesus' example of humility, to reconcile and become unified. Paul then urges the Philippians not to give in to fear, but despite their persecution, to vent all of their emotion and their needs to God, who will give them 
peace. And that peace, Paul says, it comes by focusing your thoughts on what is good and true and lovely. There's always something that you could complain about, but a follower of Jesus knows that all of life is a gift and can choose to see beauty and grace in any life circumstance. Which leads Paul to his conclusion. He again thanks the Philippians for their sacrificial gift, and he wants them to know that his imprisonments, that his times of poverty, that these are not true hardships for him. They've actually become his greatest teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment, its simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. Paul has come to see his own suffering as a participation in the story of Jesus. The letter to the Philippians gives us a unique window into Paul's own heart and mind. He saw his entire life as a reenactment of the story of Jesus. And you can sense in this letter his close connection to Jesus, his awareness that Jesus' love and presence is closer than his own skin. And that's what gave him hope and humility in his darkest hours. And so Paul shows us that knowing Jesus is always a deeply personal transforming encounter. That's the kind of Jesus that Paul invites others to follow. And that's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, Like I said, today we're talking about Philippians 4. And uh, there are, are honestly three chapters of the Bible that I just cannot get enough of. I can preach on them. I can read them over and over again. And for those of you curious at home, uh, that's Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in the Psalms. It was my grandpa's favorite. Uh, And then Luke 18, which is this really cool interaction that Jesus has with somebody that just really meant a lot in my story. And then there's today's chapter, which is Philippians 4, that we're going to be talking about. And what I want to do is I want to share why this chapter means so much to me. I want to talk a little bit about my story. And my story starts out when I was eight years old. Actually, it starts out when I was born, but for the purpose of this sermon, it starts out when I was eight years old. And when I was eight, I went in to to get surgery to have my tonsils taken out. And uh, any of you living without tonsils, stay strong. We're in this together. Uh, But we went into that surgery, and uh, my parents told me, the doctors told me, This is going to be really routine. This is not going to take long. You're going to go in. We're going to get done. You're going to come out. We're going to give you some popsicles. I think my parents had bought me a new Lego set. And you're going to be home tonight. Um, But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, As they began the operation, uh, they discovered that I have a rare condition called malignant hyperthermia, where I'm I'm basically allergic to the gas used to administer the anesthetic, and it causes my body temperature just to keep rising, and and so my body was filling up with lactic acid, and back then, um, they weren't near as equipped as they are now to handle it, and honestly, it's it's just by the grace of God that I'm still here today. Spent about three weeks in the hospital and then finally got to go home and uh, spent a lot of time recovering from that. Um, But one of the hardest parts is that the doctors explained um, that there is a theory out there that extreme physical activity uh, could trigger another episode like that. And so I I remember being in the office and then looking at my parents and saying to them, he's he's not going to be able to do sports. And I I remember as an eight-year-old who was planning on replacing Ozzie Smith as shortstop for the Cardinals, um, I was pretty devastated. That was my career plan, and so I didn't know where we were going to go after that. And uh, growing up, 
as a kid who couldn't really do sports is tough. And um, no shock, I kind of became a nerd. We got a Nintendo, got more Legos, and that was that was kind of my life. But I always just had this desire to join all of my friends and and being a part of some kind of team. Uh, now, when I got to middle school, I was actually allowed to try basketball a little bit. Um, but I am not great at basketball, and so try was the key word there. Um, and, and didn't really sense that there was gonna be a huge future for me there other than maybe sitting on the bench. Uh, but then I got to high school, and just as a note of, of those of you who, who haven't been to our church or listened to me preach before, I grew up in a, a, a weird city uh, in Illinois um, called Effingham, which I realize sounds like you're cursing at a pig. Uh, it's not. It's Effingham, E-F-F-I-N-G-H-A-M. Uh, and to make it worse, I went to Effingham High School, whose mascot was the Flaming Hearts. We were the Effingham Flaming Hearts. And just when you think it can't get any worse, they chose our school colors to not be like red and orange and yellow like you would think flames, but red and green, like, like a Christmas decoration. In fact, here was my team's logo. <laughs> Go hearts. <laughs> it's actually funny. Dan was talking in his last message about his Letterman jacket, and I made the comment to him, uh, I, I never got one. And, and Dan was shocked. He's like, why? And I explained, would you have bought a jacket, <laughs> worn it with that on it? Uh, probably not. Um, but while I was at uh, Effingham High School, I, uh, <laughs> I remember... It was actually my first day there, Dan. Uh, and if you remember your first day of your freshman year, I was scared out of my mind. Like, I didn't know where I was going. Everybody was bigger than me. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was trying to find, I think it was my biology class. And I'm walking in the hall, and one of the teachers or coaches, somebody in the hall, looked at me, and they knew my name from something in middle school, and they said, Chris, you should run. And I thought they meant to class. <laughs> I took off down the hall. I'm like, I'm going to be late for one of my first classes. And so I was sprinting and I, and I got there. They caught me after class and explained that they wanted me to run on the cross country team. Ah. Now, I would later find out that they were just looking to have enough individuals to have a full varsity and a full JV squad that year. So it wasn't just you. It, they were literally asking everybody Everyone. that. <laughs> but for me, it was special. Nobody had ever asked me to be on their team before. So I remember going home that night and telling my dad about it. And, and I'm just like, dad, I, I don't know why, but, but somebody wants me on their team. And my, my dad kind of explained to me, well, when the doctor said no extreme physical activity, of all the sports you could pick, cross country is probably the worst. And, uh, and so he kind of, kind of was like, you know, let, let's stop and think about this a little bit. And he actually said, why don't we spend a couple of days, why don't we pray about this? And uh, if in a couple of days you're still feeling like this is something you need to do, then maybe we can give it a shot. I thought he was going to say you should have picked a slacker sport yeah. like baseball. <laughs> do they have a foosball team? <laughs> um, uh, but you know what? We did that, and I still felt this desire to be on this team. And so I joined the cross-country team. And I started running with them, and... Um, had never run before. I showed up the first day in a pair of basketball shoes. Like I didn't even know like oh, running shoes are a thing I should have. Um, but started running and to everybody's surprise, I wasn't horrible. Like there were times 
that I didn't finish last. And I actually kind of got towards the middle of the pack, um, towards the end of the season. And uh, to everybody else, they thought, wow, for, for somebody who's not being able to do sports and, and here you are, you're actually doing really awesome. Um, but Dan, you know me, and you know that I'm a, a small bit of a perfectionist. Fact. That, and I'm also a, a little bit competitive. Like I'm the guy, you give me something like new, like a new video game, I'm going to stay up like straight doing nothing but Red Bull until I can perfect it. Like I'm not, I'm not accepting two stars on a three-star level. I'm just not going to do it. And so that drove me nuts when I was doing cross country because I knew I was okay, but I knew because of, of my condition and whatnot, I was never going to be the best. And so I found myself in a place where I wanted to quit. And I remember it was the night before our last regular season meet. And our coach had told us that, you know, whoever finishes in like the top seven tomorrow, you guys would go on to regionals and sectionals and maybe hopefully state. Uh, and the rest of you, it's, gonna, it's been a good season. Um, but, you know, this, this is kind of the end of your journey for this year. And I told my dad, I said, well, I think, you know, knowing that, I think tomorrow's probably going to be my last race. Like, I don't think I'm going to run anymore. It's just too frustrating knowing that I'm never going to really be good at this. And, um, and in a moment, I'll never forget, my dad reached over onto to the shelf of my bookcase and he pulled out this right here. Uh, this was my teen study Bible. Um, this is what I took to youth group. I read at church. Um, back then, this was the coolest Bible you could buy, Dan. And, uh, and he pulled this off the shelf and he opened it up to Philippians 4.13. And, uh, and he made me read that verse out loud, which says, I can do all things through him, or some of the translations say through Christ, who gives me strength. And my dad, I love him, but he was kind of annoying in that moment. Uh, he said, what things? And uh, I said, well, if we're going off of the verse, it says all things. And he said, does that include the race tomorrow? And I said, I guess it has to. And my dad challenged me. He said, I want you to run tomorrow. And he said, I can't promise you're going to get first. I can't promise you're going to get last. But no matter where you finish, I want you to run as if you were running for Christ himself. Like if you, if this was some form of worship and you were running for God, I want you to go out there and run for him. And it was in that moment that I decided to run for something bigger than myself. And I remember we went to that starting line and my dad actually pulled me aside and he said, hey, we got a minute or two. Do you want to kneel down and pray right here? And I had another teammate who was an awesome Christian guy and he said, I'll pray with you guys. So we knelt and we prayed right there. God, no matter what happens, no matter where I finish, let this race be for you. And uh, I can honestly say that moment changed my life. Um, the gun went off. It's about a three-mile race. To this day, I cannot remember the first two miles. But I remember coming around the corner, going into that third mile, and everybody was going crazy and cheering because I was in, it was like second or third place for our varsity squad. And I ended up finishing right about there because, honestly, I was kind of scared. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? <laughs> um, and, and I finished, and I got done, and, and I had people on my own team coming up to me going, who are you and how did you get a uniform? And I, and I had to explain to them, I've been here the whole year. 
Um, and they said, well, what did you do different? And, I, and I, to this day, I have no other answer than I tried to run for something bigger than myself. And, uh, and that, that has led me to where I am today. I've gotten to run with Team World Vision um, for several years now and bring others into that running journey. In fact, we have our group runs right off to the side of where we're meeting right now. And uh, God has continued to use running in my life. But, but it all started there in that moment with my dad with that verse right there. And so, so it took on this special meaning in my life. But then... Um, but then I, I, I got to college and, and I graduated and, and I started doing ministry. And in my ministry journey, I, I had this moment where I, I kind of stumbled across all these kind of huge global needs. It's when I really discovered World Vision, but I was learning about all this, this well, just poverty in the world, the suffering in the world. And I really began to wrestle with that verse because I'm seeing these people that are hurting and it's not getting better, but they have faith. And I'm like, well, if we can do all things, then why isn't, why isn't everything just getting better for them? And it was then that I actually stumbled across a, a scholar. His name is Ben Witherington III. He's a really smart Bible guy. And, uh, and he began to kind of reframe this passage for me. Uh, he actually jokingly says, we've turned it into the Superman verse. That we, we read this verse and we sometimes want to throw it out there as an excuse for us to be able to do whatever we want. So we'll say something like, well, of course I can win the Super Bowl. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Of course I can win the election. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he says there are moments like that where God gives us strength. I experienced that in my own life. But he said there's actually something deeper going on in this passage. He says, let's take a look at that tra traditional translation, the one I shared earlier, that says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He says, some translations have done a better job. Uh, the NIV, when they recently did an update, started to translate it like this. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Referring, like Paul is, to what's happening at that moment uh, but then a couple years ago, there was a translation that came out called the Common English Bible that I think really captures what's going on in this verse. And it's translated, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Word. And, and I love that because what Ben Motherington says is look at what Paul says right before that, that Superman verse that we often pull out of context. And this is what Paul says. He says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. And listen to this. He says, For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he actually says right after the verse that we read, even so you have done well with me to share in my present difficulty, or as some translations say, to share in my suffering. And I think that when you look at it in its context, when you look at that kind of, that newer translation or that more accurate translation of that verse, this verse isn't about thriving. It's about surviving. 
And when I say that at first, it might actually seem like a downgrade, but I actually think that it makes the verse more powerful. Because what I have discovered in my life is that there, is a, there, there are a lot of moments where I don't feel like I'm thriving. Um, I don't feel like I'm taking over the world. Like There are days, and maybe you're like this, where I, I go to bed at night thinking, whew, we got through it. It wasn't pretty, but we got through it. And I'm guessing, in fact, if you can relate to that, just type the word me in the comments right now. I'm just curious if anybody out there can relate to that, where you have moments in life where you, dance typing, where you don't feel like you're, you're, you're thriving, but you feel like you're surviving. And what I think what Paul is saying in this passage is that there may be moments in life like that. Keep in mind, when we did the introduction to Philippians, we talked about how Paul is actually under house arrest. He's in quarantine. He, he can't go out and do the things he wants when he writes this. And he's writing to a place, and the last time he was at that place, they arrested him and threw him into a dungeon. So, so Paul's not writing from, I'm on top of the world, writing to a place when I was there, I was on top of the world. He's saying, I'm surviving now, and I survived then. And I know I can survive because I can endure all this through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. And I bring that back to the running idea. And I think about running a marathon or even a half marathon. And I can tell you that there are moments in those races, ask anybody who's ever done it, where you don't feel like you're thriving. You're just trying to survive. If you ever meet anyone who runs a half marathon or a marathon and finishes with nothing but a huge smile on their face and says, Woo, that was easier than I thought. You have my permission to <laughs> slap them, like just to slap them. Because the truth is those, those are difficult events. They're called endurance events because they're about surviving. And I think that life especially life, Dan, right now, as we're in quarantine, as we're facing challenges that we've really never faced before. Um, I shared it on Easter. I'll share it again. My anxiety has not been great. These challenges are difficult for me. I shared it last week. I'll share it again. My eight-year-old daughter has had moments where she's broke down. She misses her friends. She misses school. She misses all the things she used to do. And if I'm being honest, Dan, so do I. Yeah. yeah. And it, it has been tough. And there have been a lot of days where I don't feel like I'm thriving. But, but I feel like that through Christ, I can endure all these things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it over to Dan now so that he can kind of help answer this question of how do we endure all these things through Christ? What are some of the practical ways that we can do that? So the question is, how do we endure all these things through the power of Christ? Now, if you've been hanging around at Caught Prairie and especially part of the, the running Team World Vision system or if you've been working with technology, you know that if you ask Chris a question, he'll give you an answer, but he's smart enough to break it down into small bits. And so I've tried to do the same thing. So I've decided to pull out three small things that can help us find endurance, or as, uh, as Chris sometimes gives us, three running tips through this race that's set before us. So I want you to turn to the very top of this chapter, Philippians 4, verse 2, and we're going to see him addressing people who are in a struggle. I don't think they're locked in together in a quarantine, but they're struggling. So here it is. Now I appeal to you, Euodia and Syntyche, 
please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So, these are two women who have pretty high standing in the church. People look to them for wisdom. They look to them for guidance. They look to them as role models, and apparently there's a, there's a fight going on. And one of the things that I, I want to emphasize is that Paul hates church fights. He hates them because the unity of the church is such a testimony to the world, not only the world outside, but to a testimony particularly to new believers who are excited to follow Jesus and if they see people who claim to be following Jesus and who are gossiping and nitpicking and trolling and being mean-spirited, it's so demoralizing and they wonder, huh, is this Jesus thing really real? So Paul is all over this. What Paul is asking these two women to do is to be peacemakers. And honestly, that's a tip for getting through any sort of difficult situation. We don't just run away from conflict. We don't just whine and beg and ask them to stop. No, we want to be peacemakers because that's what brings health to a situation. And frankly, that's what makes Jesus look good. In fact, Jesus himself said about the disciples, or as he's in prayer, um, there we go. <laughs> Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and as I am in you, and that may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Hmm. This is what he's asking. This, these, he, I don't know if he had heard this prayer of Jesus or if, it, if he just knew through the testimony of the early saints We've got to stick together, and we've got to stick together with joyfulness and with peace. So, in any conflict, I guess I would say this. In any conflict, we're getting multiple inputs, right? Life tells us it's not easy, right? This is how life is. There's going to be struggles, quarantines, illness, fighting, differing, differing opinions. But when the world hears there's a fight going on, the world has one way of reacting that's not the wise way. In fact, we can see that every day in the news. The world tends to say, there's a fight? Oh, you better win it, because if you lose a fight, you're a loser. The world says, if there's a fight going on, we gotta pick sides, we gotta make our side look good, we gotta make the other side look bad, we gotta mobilize our followers, we gotta pound our point home, and it, if worse comes to worse, we, even if we're wrong, or even if we're defeated, we don't back down. In other words, the world says, the goal of a fight is to win it, not to bring a solution or to bring peace. Paul says something different. Paul says something, get outside of yourself to see the problem with better eyes. Bring someone in to help if there's a fight. And if you're in the fight, don't just bring someone else in, but, but bring yourself to a point where you can admit that you've made mistakes, that you're wrong. Most of all, honor Jesus. Make Jesus look good so that the gospel looks real. In other words, the point of a fight isn't to win it. The goal of a fight is to bring peace and an outcome that's a blessing from it. And you know, in any conflict, that's important. In fact, I've summarized it here. I think life says one thing, the world says another. But Paul simply speaks the gospel. And Christians who bicker, troll, trash talk, and gossip, they make Jesus look bad. 
And they make the bride of Christ, the church, they make the church look even worse. Now, does this apply to Facebook? Because I've seen some of this online. Oh, more than ever. (laughs) Yeah, and that's why, honestly, it's so hard for us Christians, because we we have differing opinions. We see Mm. the world differently. We get our our news from different sources sometimes, and we we place trust in different sources. Mm. And when we we argue and, and just hurt one another with how we speak on Facebook, how we tweet, what we retweet, and what, how we frame it. Also, all those things are part of our witness to the world. And our witness doesn't always make the judge look good. Yeah. So, um, I want to say this about being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker, someone who, who, who's committed to bringing peace, it doesn't mean we're a wimp. We're not fleeing from fight or begging from people begging people to stop the conflict, but to be a wise peacemaker, it means we're gently wading into the conflict for the good of all those who are involved. It means sometimes we suck it up and don't say everything we know to be true. Sometimes it means we don't say, I told you so. But it always means we want to listen to people who are in the engaged in the argument. And this is what he was doing with Euodia and Syntyche. In fact, you talked about translations early on, Chris. A lot of people, a lot of translators have made Euodia, which is a feminine name, into a masculine name, Euodius, because they figure, well, this is probably a couple fighting, and they need to stop it if the church is going to get healthy. I think the better scholars say, no, these are two female leaders, and anytime two friends are having a fight, there's consequence that's negative as a result. And the, the reality is, it's a lot easier to pick a fight than to help solve a fight, right? People who pick fights... They get a lot more retweets, a lot more, a lot more thumbs up, a lot more, a lot more followers. It's a lot easier and more popular to pick a fight than it is to try to solve one. But Paul asks us to do the hard thing, which is to solve that faith, solve that fight. And it's not, it's a lot of work, and there's not a lot of praise. But this is what Paul is calling us to do. So being a peacemaker is a lot of work. But the next verse in this Philippians chapter tells us that there's some reward that comes from that. In fact, read it with me. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see how considerate you are in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Hmm. So I want to tell you about something important. Playground mulch. I suppose it could be track mulch too. Wherever you find mulch that's not organic, this applies to you. And what am I saying? When Laura and I first moved, Chris was like, I don't know what you're What saying. is mulch? <laughs> when, when, uh, when Laura and I moved to, to Shawnee, we, our kids were super little. Eli was a preschooler. Jeremy was an, a, a young elementary schooler. And we, we would go to the local Clear Creek Elementary School, and we were blown away that they had this magical thing that looked like ground-up tires. Playground mulch. We had never seen this before. Um, And it makes me think about what Paul says next. Paul says that he wants us to be full of joy, right? He wants us to be, I would say, joy recyclers. That we have this joy that we get from the Lord Jesus. And if it's part of our life, that joy becomes something we go through the road of life on. This is what gives us our confidence and our celebration and our peace. This gives us, Jesus does, joy. 
But once we have joy, we're not supposed to hog, on, hog it, hold on to it, and not let it go. Jesus says, recycle your joy. Hmm. How is this theologically? Is this going to hold up, do you think? I, I'm, I'm interested to see where we're going. Okay, okay. So I was going to say, yeah, I'd be a joy cycler, but that sounds like kind of a Christian Peloton group, right? Um, but I'm going to just say this. Be a joy recycler. Recycle the joy that you've gotten from Jesus and inject it into the world. Make it, make it a soft landing to everyone who's in a conflict. See what you did there with the mulch? Uh, so, yeah, I see. Well played. Yeah, thank you. Um, probably it would be easier to say, not joy cycling, that would make me laugh. Maybe be a joy bringer. Like, like in the, when the angel spoke to the shepherds, right? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Um, be a joy bringer. And the thing about being a joy bringer is that it has to come from somewhere inside of you. In fact, there's a lot of reason for us to feel sad, to be sorrowful, to be anxious, to be frustrated, to be annoyed. All sorts of things are happening to us during this quarantined time. And even as we step-by-step step reopen things outside, our, outside in society, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for anger. Don't know if you've seen the news lately. <laughs> um, for mutual judgment, depending on how you think things ought to unroll as we lift the quarantine, so to speak. But the important thing is to know. I heard you chuckle. No, I had a cough. Oh, Sorry. okay. Like, like, okay, what's up? <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to co-preach, right? Um, but for to be a joy bringer, I think we have to remember that if we can't, if we can't allow joy into our own life, we're not going to bring joy into anybody else's. And I'm just talking about your friends on Facebook, I'm talking about your spouse, your children. How are you going to bring joy to others if, if you don't have joy inside? Can I throw a thought in there sure, really yeah. quick? Uh, so uh, we got Ollie, my daughter, she's eight, uh, an early birthday present uh -huh. um, to kind of cure some of the boredom that's going on. We bought a trampoline, like a, like a big oh, yeah. trampoline. And after uh, 18 hours of installation, it now exists in our backyard. And uh, Sally and I will be up working in our office upstairs, but we'll open the window and Ollie will be down on that trampoline and, and she does not know how to hide joy. <laughs> so all of her joy is, is recycled and shared and, and we just, we hear the, the giggling that only an eight-year-old on a new trampoline can bring. And no matter what we're dealing with, no matter how stressful what we're working on is, it brings that joy into us. Like it was just, as you said that, it was just a perfect reminder of like, be an eight-year-old on a trampoline, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, don't hide the joy God's given you. Yeah. Well, we have less of that with a college <laughs> student at home doing uh, homework online, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, when Paul says, be joyful, that's not easy for us always to do. And some of us really struggle. Both Chris and I have yeah. shared with you our struggle with with. The, the depression or anxiety and the fact sometimes sometimes what we need for joy is not available with the tools we have within us we we have to go look for help and we don't want to feel guilty that oh my gosh I don't have enough joy if I'm if I'm not feeling good my kids aren't feeling good right and I'm not trying to pile on guilt into an already difficult place but but if we don't shoot for the goal of letting the, the joy of Jesus Christ fill our lives and overflow so much that people can tell that there's more joy, there's more joy where that came from. Um, we are not going to be a blessing to the people that we most want to bless. And so striving for joy is, is super important. And joy is not an easy thing hmm. in the middle of a quarantine. 
but through Christ, I believe we can endure all things <laughs> through Christ who gives us strength. So, but this enduring thing is a lot of work. And so, to summarize, the tips for the race are to be a peacemaker, to be a joy bringer, and thirdly, let's be a prayer lifter. Paul writes this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for everything he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Love that verse. <laughs> Amen. This is, this is the life verse for, for a lot of us. But you know, it also contains some prayer prompts already within in it. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And here's the, the kind of prayer prompts I see if we, if we go back for a second. Two verses. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. In other words, may your prayers be full of praise. And then tell God what you need. May your prayers be full of asking. And then thank him for all that he's done. May your prayers be full of thanks. This is what makes prayer so vital. This is how we get through struggles in life. In fact, Paul doesn't say that prayer is always, there we go. Paul doesn't say that prayer is always going to make the bad stuff go away, the mad people go away, or the sad feelings go away. In fact, he doesn't say that at all. What he says is that through the habit of prayer, Christ's peace will protect and guard mm. your hearts and minds. It will change us, not because the world changes, but because Christ gives us the ability to be protected as we endure the struggles that we're in. Hmm. It's the armor of God. In fact, what we're hearing here is that being a Christ follower doesn't mean just believing in Jesus. It means trusting him enough to want to live like him too. Hmm. My prayer for you, friends, is that you will experience this, this end of quarantine. God willing, there's not a reopening, a, re, a re-quarantining. But that we'll experience this as an opportunity to grow closer to Christ, to role model for our families, and to, as we say around here at Caw Prairie, to change lives with Jesus' love. Hmm. And I pray that's something that you will be able to do for your family, in your family, for your employee, for your coworkers, for your employer, and even more for your Lord Jesus. May we make Jesus look good by living like Jesus did. May we make the gospel make sense and be seen as trustworthy because of how we endure all these things through Christ who gives us strength. You feel like praying? <laughs> I'd love to pray. Um, dear God, uh, we come to you and we pray because we know that we, we can ask and we can ask you to change our situation. And we do, God. I pray that this virus goes away. I pray that quarantine ends. I pray that things get better. God, but sometimes I know it's not about the situation changing. It's about us changing in the situation. And so that's our prayer today, God, is that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how easy or hard life gets, like Paul says, whether we have plenty or we have nothing, God, I pray that we can find you and find our strength in you, God, that we can endure all this through him, through Christ, who gives us strength. God, let us be people of peace and joy and prayer. 
And let us find you and share you. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.